Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast. My name is Nick Shaw, and I'm the Communications Director at the Church, and for this week's sermon, we are joined by special guest Matt Hammett. Matt is the former lead singer of the super well-known Christian band, Sanctus Real, and he joined us for both of our Father's Day services and brought a message all about fatherly leadership. Trust me when I say this is a great message, and there's a special surprise in the form of a performance at the very end, so stick around all the way through. And without any further ado, I'll let Matt take it from here. And so, and it's just good to be here to um, not only celebrate family, but to celebrate fatherhood and to celebrate all the fathers here this morning. Um, so if you're a dad here this morning, I pray that God would allow me just to encourage your heart um, as he has encouraged mine in preparing this message um, I also want to say thank you, Pastor White and Patrick. You guys have some awesome worship here, yeah? And uh, awesome pastoral leadership. So, so grateful that you had me this morning. Thanks for letting me be here. I was just telling Pastor White that um, I, it's so good to be here speaking and encouraging in a church building with a bunch of people. Uh, you know, I've, I have been to my home church since we've opened up a, a few months back, but um, I haven't been able to, to share and encourage as much as I've wanted to in this kind of environment. So this is really special um, for me. Um, so, you know, my wife mentioned in that video about these hard times that our family has had. You, you've seen, um, you know, saw the picture of my son Bowen. He's my third child, my first son. And you saw the picture of his chest. He's had three major open heart surgeries. Um, he's, he's 10 years old now, and there's a whole story behind that that I'd love. If, if I had time to share the whole thing, I would love to. But, um, you know, that's just kind of one piece of what our family's been going through over the past decade, walking as a family, uh, as a father of a child with heart disease. And so, you know, things like that in our life just throw us different curveballs. Um, but, but one of the things in my life and, and in my wife's life, in our life together as a family that um, has really been hard for us is just the ups and downs of, of married life. And that's something my wife and I have always made a priority for us to share um, as we lead our kids, not only to be honest with other people about how things aren't always glossy, uh, but also to be honest with our children so that they know as they enter life that it's not all going to be easy. There will be valleys. And as God is faithful to us, he calls us to be faithful to each other. And uh, there's a song I, I am going to sing for you. And probably the, reason, the biggest reason that I am here this morning is because God has given me this lead me message to carry. Um, how many people have heard the song lead me on the radio? Anybody? Okay. So... It's a song that, that I really never anticipated how far that song would go. And it is a song about those struggles. It's a song about my feeling just as, I mean, man, you already gave a great message this morning in like two minutes. You unpacked a lot there about just fathers and how we often feel that, that we're not enough. And you gave an awesome, encouraging message that we aren't enough. But God is through us. And he's given us what we need in him to be the men that God has called us to be. And, you know, that song, Lead Me, came out of a time in my life where God was really beginning to work in me as a father and a husband in the way that he has most worked through my life throughout the past 20 years. That is the voice of my wife. Man, you know, our wives have a way of speaking to us things that we do not want to hear, but we need to hear. 
It's so hard sometimes not to be defensive, right, when those things come at us and to open our hearts. I still deal with that. Um, But thank God that my wife has been willing along the way to share with me the ways that I can grow as a husband and a father. And uh, that song, Lead Me, came out of one of those moments. For me, a season in life when Sarah and I were really struggling with our communication. Our communication had grown uh, toxic in a way because it felt like every time we tried to come to the table, we were caught in this cycle that Emerson Egrich, the book Love and Respect, I don't know if you've read that. If you haven't, you really should. It's a classic and it's full of wisdom. Um, But he talks about this cycle where there's no love and no respect, right? And we were caught in what he calls the crazy cycle. And it was just going around and around, and it can't be broken until that love and respect in the marriage is restored or in the communication. And so we just kind of were going round and round with this defense between us. It felt like every time we tried to tear down the wall that was between us in our communication, we would just add another brick and some more cement. It was so hard to tackle some of the things that we needed to work through. And I'll never forget one day, Sarah saying those wonderful words that we all want to hear, we need to talk. <laughs> those words, wonderful words. And, uh, but you know what? We did need to talk. Sarah sat me down at our dining room table and through tears, about seven years into our marriage, through tears began to tell me that she felt like I was there, but I wasn't there. She told me that she needed me to be stronger for her Uh, more present emotionally and spiritually. Uh, I'd been chasing a dream with Sanctus Real. At that time, it was a dream that we started together. When we got married, we actually hopped in a van together right after our honeymoon and hit the road. And for four years, traveled together. And we had this dream where we were going out together and experiencing the world. We were going out together and seeing all the fun things as we were even touring in a van and life was hard and touring was hard. And she was in a van with like five sweaty guys. God bless her heart that she did that. Um, and, you know, and it was, it was hard in its own way, but it was so exciting. It was an adventure that we were on together. Well, when she got pregnant with our first daughter, Emmy, she had obviously to stop sleeping in the back of a, a bumpy van through the night. And uh, so she went home and our dreams kind of separated, right? I still had a dream for family. I had a dream to be a father. I had a dream to be a good husband. But physically, we were in two different places. Now, she was home. Uh, We had Emmy and started a family. And then I was on the road without her. And so often, I would come home really worn out from that van and trailer kind of touring life, road dogging it, as they would say, grinding it. And You know, I would be tired, but guess who else was tired? Mama. She'd been taking care of a baby without me there and working so hard at home. And so I come home exhausted to an exhausted wife, you know, and and rightfully so. She needed me to check in. And I just wasn't checking in in the way that I should have. After so many years of kind of the cycle of me wanting and trying to be a good father and husband or having the idea of what that might look like, I actually needed to get it into action a little bit more because there were things that I wanted to be that in reality I wasn't living up to. And so Sarah spoke to my heart that day 
through tears, began to tell me some of the things that she'd been lacking that she needed in our relationship. And it was hard to hear, right? I was tired. I felt offensive. Well, don't you know all the ways that I'm trying to be a good dad and I'm working so hard and I'm providing for the family. But that day, God kind of just shut my mouth and he opened my heart and he opened my ears. He allowed me to hear the words that my wife was saying to me. And I was able to see her hurt. And it broke my heart. Because that day, I turned and I looked next to me. I looked at a picture that was sitting on the table right next to where I was that, that morning after my wife had, had kind of gotten up. That's the picture right there. If you're wondering why there are two women in that photo. Um, that's actually me. My wife was not married to Ellen DeGeneres before me. Um, so anyway, that's embarrassing. You can take it down. You can take it down. Um, but my wife in that picture was, you know, beautiful, and she's glowing, and her hair and makeup are, are perfect, of course. Her dress is beautiful. But that wasn't, wasn't what made her beautiful in that. It was her countenance, her glowing countenance of a wife who was so excited to walk into the future and start a family with this man. And when I saw her face in that photo, and then I looked across the table, or had looked across the table at a woman with tears in her eyes whose heart was feeling broken, it really pierced my soul the contrast that in seven years my wife had now felt this brokenness and I wasn't exactly sure to be honest everything that I had done to contribute to that I was still sorting it out I was still a young boy in a way trying to be a man and and I just remember just feeling like God I don't know everything that I need to do to be the man you've called me to be but I know that you can equip me and, and I remember just going to James, uh, you know, 1, 5, and it said, you know, if anyone uh, has any, uh, if, if anyone needs wisdom, God will give it to him if he asks. And I'm like, God. And it also talks, James also talks about being like this, this boat, right, on the waves, being taught, this man on the waves being tossed to and fro. And it was like by emotions and whatever else comes at you. And it was like, that was kind of my life. I was kind of going through emotions and I was tossed by my emotions and tossed by my career. And are we number one on the charts? And are we, you know, are we, are we getting the tours we need? Are we making enough money this month? And all my emotions and my life and my schedule I was kind of tossed back and forth, and I realized, like, I'm that man on the waves. I'm kind of double-minded. I have doubts, and I need to anchor myself in who Jesus Christ is. I need to get a clear mind and keep my eyes on him and ask God for the wisdom that he has for me. And that day, I appealed to God to give me wisdom. One of the things that God revealed to me that day was that all of my good intentions were absolutely worthless, until they became actions based on the reality of who he was calling me to be and what my family really needed for me. Not what I thought they needed, not what I felt they needed, but what they really needed for me to look at the reality of who I was versus who I wanted to be. Henry Cloud talks a lot about integrity. You know, he talks about the ability to meet the demands of reality and how much character has to do with that. Can I look at what's real versus what's in my heart and mind? Can I look at who I really am and face it? That's hard. It's a lot harder than we think it is at times to look at ourselves in the mirror and really face who we are because it's a lot of work and sometimes we just want to run the other way. <laughs> we just want to bury ourselves in our work 
bury ourselves in our good intention, burying ourselves in the image of what we want to be instead of facing who we are and making the changes that God is calling us to make. It is so hard to do, but that is the journey of lead me for me, moving from being a man of good intentions to a man of action as the spiritual leader in my home. That's what God was calling me to. Did I change overnight? Of course not. Am I fully the man that God has called me to be now? Of course not. This is a daily choice that I have to make when I wake up in the morning. Will I today seek and strive to hear what God is speaking to me? And in my brokenness, allow him to heal me and allow me to spread that and give that by his grace to my family every single day. There are days I still fail to do that in the way that I would hope. But in those victory moments, man, God keeps inspiring me to move forward and move forward. And once God started stirring this, this message in my heart, um, actually that, that day, I can't miss this key element here. I get excited and I start going off path here. Um, that day that my wife sat me down is the day that I picked up my guitar. And I put those words that she said, Lee, I need you to lead me. I put those into that song and wrote the first draft of Lead Me that day. And honestly, I didn't think anybody would ever hear that song. I really didn't. I, I, I put it kind of in the, the hard drive, <laughs> and I played it for my wife. And people always say to my wife, you know, oh, what did, what, what did you think when Matt wrote that beautiful song for you? Well, guess what? She didn't really want a song. She wanted me and my life. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I had to live that out. But I'll tell you what, God had a purpose for that song that he put in my heart. Because little did I know that the president of a record label would hear it and a little batch of all these B-side demos and say, that will reach people. That will touch men's heart. That's a real message that people need. And I'm so grateful that he did because Lead Me came out 2010 and um, it reached so many more people than I could have ever imagined. But even as Lead Me came out, I was still trying to be that man. And here's the irony of the song, Lead Me. The irony of the song, Lead Me, is that the very song that I wrote about wanting to be a more present husband and father, the success of that song took me away from my family even more. That was where the rubber really met the road. I'm touring, I'm singing in arenas on Winter Jam, sometimes to 15,000 people sharing the stage with the biggest Christian artists in the world. And people, every single person in that arena is singing those words back to me. And every single day, I had to stand up there and say, am I the man <laughs> that everybody's looking at and singing along with right now? And I started to realize slowly but surely that more and more that maybe being the man that God had called me to be would require some pretty major sacrifice for me. That maybe I couldn't be the man that God was calling me to be if I was still out touring 200 days out of the year. How could I be a good singer or a good performer in a band if I never showed up on stage? Well, how could I be a good father and a good husband if I was never home? And God started working on me. You know, it wasn't just a song for a broken world to hear and help heal families, which by the, only by the grace of God that song has done. It was a song for broken Matt Hammett. And God used that song to speak back to me. As a matter of fact, the 
day that lead me, or the week that lead me went number one on the radio actually was the day that I was at my son's bedside at his first open heart surgery. Talk about looking at the contrast between family dreams and career dreams. I've got this number one song that I've always wanted. But you know what? In that moment, I didn't really care compared to those prayers I was praying for my son to live. And boy, God just kept working on me and working on me over and over um, and speaking to me about the sacrifice that I felt stewing that I would need to make, which was stepping away from the only thing I had known. Not only as a lifestyle, being the lead singer of Sanctus Real since I was 16 years old. At that point, for almost 20 years, when it came around 2015, lead me been on the radio for a few years. We get all these big tours, and there was so much promise ahead of us as a band. We'd worked for so long as high school best friends to accomplish these dreams. And here God is speaking to my heart that it's time for me to step away. I didn't want to hear it. And you can imagine, you know, when God calls you to something, it's like you're in, you're in this safe place. Like imagine you're like Peter in the boat and you feel kind of safe and you see Jesus out on the water and you really want to walk to Jesus. You really want to get to Jesus and touch Jesus and experience the miracle, you know, that is waiting for you and just get to the Savior but it's scary to put your foot outside of the boat. I mean, I think about Peter. Imagine you, you can dip your toe in the water, but you want to keep one foot in the boat. All right, so how can I kind of do this and still feel safe? How can I kind of get out, but kind of keep one foot in? But I felt one day that God was speaking to me clearly. I'm calling you out all the way out, were the words that I heard, all the way out. And so I imagine I felt like Peter as you actually take the weight of your full body and put it into the waves. <laughs> I mean, think about that. So I had to take the full weight and faith of my life and put it into the waves that Jesus was calling me into. And only in keeping my eyes on him, I knew that I would be able to walk. And so in 2016, I played my very last show, funny enough, on a boat, <laughs> on the Family Life Love Like You Mean It cruise. And I passed the microphone to a new lead singer that day after 20 years of being in Sanctus Real the hardest sacrifice that I've made, but the best decision I've ever made in my life because I decided that day that my family dream was worth more than my career dream. I knew it. And there are plenty of men who can keep both because God's not calling everybody to step away from your career, right? God's not calling everyone to that. He might be calling you to that. Listen to his voice if he is. But God was calling me to be not just for my own family, but also I knew that he was calling me to carry the message, carry the message about fatherhood and why in our culture we need to be, be, be championing the message of fatherhood more than ever. We need to be championing what it means to be a father and the value of being a father you know, I want to read a little excerpt from my book, um, page 91, my book, Lead Me. Uh, last year, Multnomah Press actually asked me to write the book, Lead Me, which is awesome because I'm like, I took this whole big story and I put it into a four-minute song. That's what we do as songwriters. We take, we take a big story and we whittle it down into a four-minute song. And I've been wanting forever to unpack this thing, like really give the whole story. And so um, they gave me the opportunity to do that. So I'm super grateful to Multnomah for giving me that opportunity. 
But here's, here's what I was feeling when I, when I stepped away from that career dream that I had to pursue what God was calling, calling me to. Um, and, and let me say, too, when I stepped on the water and I walked on the water to Jesus, and I looked back and saw the miracles that he was doing, it made every step worth it. There's something I understand now about my life. I always knew it, but it was hard to believe when I was at the center of my dream. I hope you take it into your heart. Here it is. It will all go on without you. People may appreciate you while your gifts are on display. Hopefully they'll speak fondly of you in the end, but the world will keep spinning after you're gone. I've heard it said, I've heard this said by many different people in many different ways, but I'll give it a try in my own words. When it comes to climbing the ladder of fame, wealth, and career, there are a thousand people behind you ready and waiting to take your place. Most of them would never be sorry to see you go. Every reader may take something different from this book, but if you're a husband or a father, I desperately hope you won't let this truth pass you by without taking it into your heart. Your wife has one husband. Your children have one father. No one can take your place. God created you to do that job in a special way that only you can do. And without you, there's a painful void. Without you, there's a painful void. Now look, can God be a father to the fatherless? Of course, absolutely he can. He is. But if you're a father and God has placed you in the life of your child, whether that's your biological child or a stepchild or an adopted child or mentoring a child who is fatherless, God has called you to do that job in a way that nobody else can do. A thousand people can show up at a job on the line Honestly, a thousand people can sing. There were a lot of other bands waiting for us to get out of the limelight so they could take it. That's how it works, right? You're climbing the ladder. You hope the guy ahead of you is going to fall off sometimes. Sometimes you pull his leg. But here's the thing. When it comes to marriage and family, one husband, one father, that's you. God has called you. And you know, I've, I've been... Lately, God has just been putting this, this scriptures on my heart as I was, I've been reading um, through the Bible. I've been trying to do this uh, read through the Bible in a year plan, and I've, I've read through the Bible, but I actually haven't done the plan before, and so I'm going to do my best to stay on it. And, and something really was hitting me the other day as I was reading, and it just stuck out to me. And it was when I was reading Luke 1, 17, and it says, He will go before him, talking about John the Baptist, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready the Lord a people prepared. Now, John the Baptist, you know, was going before Jesus to prepare the way. But, I, but this just hit me so hard. You know, to, to turn the hearts of fathers to the children. When you look at the original context of this, it's from Malachi 4, 5 through 6. I think we have a slide here for that. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of, of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I don't want to see a decree of utter destruction. <laughs> Why is it that it's so important? Why this right here? Why? turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. I mean, this is what 
in these passages. God chose to speak because there's something so precious, not only about a father sending his son so that we could come back to our father in heaven, but it's the ultimate example of a father's heart towards his kids. And I got to tell you, for a lot of my life, I thought that my heart was turned towards my children. I thought I was a good dad. I wanted to be, I had good, good intentions. Did I love my kids? Yes, I loved my kids. But to be honest, when I made my family dream, my priority dream, and I began to spend more time with my kids and listen to what they were saying to me and seek the Father's heart and then seek their hearts so that I could lead them back to the Father. Day in and day out, when that became more of my priority, I developed a relationship with my children that I never knew that I could have. And I realized what I had been missing all those years. And there was something so innately precious about a father's heart being turned to his children. You know, the Bible isn't the only source that we see that talks about the importance of fatherhood. It's not just a spiritual, religious idea that we have as Christians from the Bible. You see, this is also something that's recognized by science, by our own government. I'm going to give you an example. Um, But before I do, I want to say this. We live in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile towards manhood and towards fathers. There are hostile men who've abused their power, but that doesn't void God's good design for his good men that are in the world doing the work of God's kingdom. God's design for men and family and culture is vital. And again, not just the Bible backs this up. Listen to this from the U.S. government, from the Census Bureau online. There is a crisis in America. To hear those words, there is a crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.3 million children, one in four, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. And consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all of the societal ills facing America today. Research shows that when a child is raised in a father absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. Look at this. Four times greater risk of poverty. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Two times more likely to drop out of high school. Two times more likely to suffer obesity. Two times greater risk of infant mortality. More likely to have behavioral problems. More likely to abuse drugs and alcohol more likely to go to prison. This is the U.S. government telling us that there's a father crisis in America. Now look, if you're a single mother here, I want to tell you, yes, God can be a father to the fatherless. I don't want you to feel hopeless this morning. I know we are people from all different situations and God will provide in that way. I know it. But for those of you who are called to be fathers, I want to tell you that this job is so important. This job is so important. Our nation needs good men and good fathers. A staggering amount of men are running from their greatest calling after following Jesus. Sure, some are selfish. Some are turning to whatever their sinful desires are and running to find themselves in the world. But I think most men just need to have somebody pull them off the bench, make them believe they're an important player and call them back into the game. Call them back into the game. You're an important player. Who you are at home makes all the difference in the world. 
makes all the difference in the world. Gosh, you are so important. There's a scripture in Joshua 24 that I think most of us are probably familiar with. It's a scripture I love. There's, there's one part of it in particular that we, we pull out that people put it on, you know, T-shirts and coffee mugs and walls and doormats and, and all that. It's, it's, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, Joshua makes this statement because he realizes that it's not just about him. He realizes that, that it's also about his house. It's very important. He includes as for me and my house, as for my children. We will serve the Lord. But here's the thing about this story. There's this whole context around it that actually is, is pretty amazing because this victorious statement isn't all feel good in Joshua 24. You see, Joshua calls all of Israel and they gather. And he begins to basically tell the story of God's faithfulness to the Israelites. And why is he telling the story of God's faithfulness and recounting all the things that God has done? Because the Israelites have been turning their hearts towards other gods. The Israelites have been turning their hearts away from their father. And he began to recount what their father had done for their nation. All the miracles that they had seen while in exile. Over the years, delivering armies that should have been greater to them, delivering vineyards that they didn't plant, delivering food that they, you know, cattle and farms that, that weren't theirs, God delivering them everything they needed along the way. And he just talks about God's faithfulness and God's faithfulness. And then he begins to call out what a faithless people they had often been. And that's when he declares, hey, look, you may have turned your hearts away from God, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now there's this moment where all of Israel... Well, I don't know if they all yelled it. I don't know what's going on. I just imagine this big crowd. But people are saying to Joshua, the crowd is saying, Israel, we want to serve the Lord too. We want to serve the Lord too. But you know what Joshua says to them? I feel like this should be like one of those closing moments in a movie, like where Joshua kind of calls the people's hearts back to their father in heaven. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then all of Israel says, we'll serve God too. And then the credits roll and the symphony plays. But that's not what happens. Joshua looks at the people and he says, I've seen the way you've lived. And you cannot serve the Lord. Talk about a bummer, man. You know, in that moment, you got the people in your hands. He said, I've seen the way you live. But they say, no. No, we want to serve the Lord. And he says, okay. How far be it from you that you should say today that you want to serve the Lord and then turn your hearts from him again. And so what Joshua does that day is he makes a covenant with the people between God and he puts up this stone, this monument, some sort of monument near the place of worship. And he says, every time you walk by this stone, it will be a witness against you that you remembered today that you stood in this place, that you said that you would serve the Lord, that you would turn back to your father. May every time you see it may be a reminder to you of the promise and the covenant that you made before God. I mean, gosh, that's kind of like, it reminds me of the spirit of Elijah, turning the fathers, hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children back to their father. In that case, the spiritual hearts of children back to their father so they could lead their household. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Pastor, you mentioned opening up, you know, just how so many men wonder if, if can I, can I do this? Can I be the man that God has called me to be? We often hear the voices in our, there's a lot of voices, a lot of voices in culture right now speaking, saying that you can't be who God has called you to be as a man of God. There are often voices in our own head. Sometimes our own voices are the worst voices that tell us that. Right? We remind ourselves. And also the voice of the enemy is always telling us, constantly reminding us of the way that we've failed, of who we've been, not who we are now in Jesus Christ. He wants you to be afraid of the future. He wants you to be bound to the past. But I want to tell you this morning a good word, a good word, that you can be the man that God has called you to be. And it doesn't matter what your past looks like because God is in the business of redeeming families and fathers and the children. He's in the business of healing broken homes. I believe it with all my heart that God is in the business of healing. My buddy Mark always says, says, heal the man, heal the family, heal the nation. Heal the man, heal the family, heal the nation. Those are powerful, yet simple words. I believe that God wants to heal the hearts of men in this place. I believe that God wants to turn hearts of men who aren't following God as their father, who aren't being led by him, who aren't surrendering. He wants to turn your heart. He wants to heal you so you can be the leader God's called you to be. There are men who follow Christ, who've made mistakes. You look in the past, and maybe I haven't lived up to my calling, and maybe I'm not the man that God's called me to be today, but God wants to transform you and heal you. Maybe you're in a divorce situation or blended family, and there's complications, and God wants to still use the situation you're in and heal the brokenness in your life and make you the best father and husband you can possibly be in the hard situation you're in right now. He does. God is in the business of second chances, of healing hearts and healing families. Nothing is too big for God. Nothing. It's never, ever too late. I want to tell you a story that's really important to me. It's dear to my heart. In 1924, there was a boy named Edmund born in Brooklyn, New York. His mother, Martha, didn't have the means to take care of him and his brother, so she had to put him in an orphanage in the Bronx. And in the meantime, Martha earned money by being a nanny for wealthy children. So she looked after wealthy children, but she couldn't even have her own. But she would go visit the boys from time to time whenever she could. And one of Edmund's last memories with his mother is going to see the Hindenburg land. They never imagined that day that they would witness one of the most iconic tragedies of that time. And maybe it was a foreshadowing for Edmund because not long after that, his mother Martha died during a simple medical procedure, leaving Edmund with no hopes of ever going back home to be with her. Edmund felt stuck in a never-ending cycle of long and lonely days in the orphanage. And one day, Edmund was sitting on the back of the playground all alone, hanging his edge over the back, or legs over the edge of the back of the playground wall, where below a set of train tracks ran. He used to love watching the trains. And one day, he heard a train coming down the line. He heard thump, 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 thump. And Edmund's mind said, 
jump, 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 jump. That day, little Edmund took his first free fall into an empty coal car and took his first free train ride across America. He became hooked. <laughs> that day, he became a train hopper. They put him in a foster home. They put him back in another orphanage. And the first chance he would get, he would break out and go find another free ride. When Edmund turned 18, he was finally free from the system. He didn't have a home. He didn't have family. He didn't have money. So he joined the Navy. And ironically, he was given the same job of landing blimps on the same airstrip where he saw the Hindenburg disaster. After some time, he was deployed as a gunman on a ship, shooting down kamikazes in World War II in several battles, including the invasion of Okinawa. And in one battle, his ship was the only of a fleet to survive. He was an artist, and he captured real-life battle scenes and drawings that are now displayed in the Eisenhower Museum in Oklahoma. Edmund had a long list of incredible stories, from the orphanage to the war, to becoming an architect and designing and building his lifelong home with his own two hands. He married a beautiful woman named Betty. They had three kids, made a comfortable life, but something was missing. At the age of 49, something in Edmund's life was missing. So his wife, Betty, dragged him to church one day against his will. And he left angry, an angry New Yorker. He said, I was about to be as mad as I could ever be. I'm never going back. Everybody raising their hands and praising the Lord. Somehow, though, Betty got him to go back to church. And at the age of 49, my orphan grandfather, Edmund Hammett, made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. A fatherless child. <clears throat> sorry, turned his heart to his father and gained a heart for his children and uh, for the first time gave his life to the Lord. It's never too late to build a new legacy, to be the kind of father that God has called you to be. I actually want you to hear in my own words, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to my grandfather a little bit about his life journey. I want you to watch this video. I was 49 years old before I accepted the Lord. Anyway, that was my experience with the Holy Spirit and accepting Jesus Christ into my life. Best thing I ever did. It's just been wonderful. Grandpa, what would be your advice to young people, especially young couples? My advice to young couples would be find a, find a good church that preaches the gospel and preaches God's word and get born again. Being born again, a lot of people that enough familiar with the term, they kind of look at you twice like you're out of your tree. If you want a wonderful marriage of life, both, both you and your husband become one. That'd be my advice to a young couple. Grandpa, in light of everything you shared with me today, um, out of all your experiences in life, what would you hope that people would most remember you for? I hope they remember me and my Christian walk and... Uh, what I did with Jesus Christ when I was born again. One thing I'm really pleased with is, and I thank God tremendously for is all the grandkids and the grandchildren and the family, they're all, they all accepted the Lord. It's a Christian family. And the Bible tells us that you and your household will be saved. 
pray the Lord sure answers that prayer. Each night when I go to bed, I pray and thank the good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, grandfather went to bed thanking the Lord for his Christian family uh, for the last time on uh, January 21st, 2018. And I had the honor of singing How Great Thou Art at his funeral. And uh, when we asked if anyone wanted to share something about Eddie, a woman stood up that most of us didn't know in the room. And she said, you know, Maybe you guys don't know this about Eddie, but in the blizzard of 1978, just a couple years after he came to know the Lord and started serving at church, um, I was stuck at home in the blizzard, and I was so devastated because my husband uh, just was angry at God, didn't want anything to do with church. She said he was wheelchair-bound and just angry about his situation, and she would go to church on Sunday mornings. That was like the only way that she could feel connected to God's family. And so she was so upset the blizzard had kept her from going to church. So she turned on her radio because the pastor's message was often broadcasted through a local radio station. And all she was getting was static at first. And then she started hearing that slowly but surely the pastor's voice started coming through the radio, becoming clearer and clearer. What she didn't know that day was that my grandfather had climbed up in the blizzard of 78 and all the wind and the snow and had climbed up to the top of the church to hold the antenna in place so that people could hear the same message that had changed his life. That day, she didn't know he was holding the antenna. And what my grandfather didn't know is that on the other side of town, the message was clearly coming through the radio in this woman's house and that her husband was listening on the other side of the wall in his wheelchair. And that day, God softened his hard heart and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and... The le life and legacy of that family was changed forever. And I look at that story and I think of how my grandfather held that antenna. And every time I see an antenna, you know, I think about Joshua who put up this stone as a reminder, you know, of, the, of, what, of the legacy that we might want to leave for us in our house. And I look at my grandfather, so I see an antenna and I think of my grandfather holding that antenna. What he didn't know is that years later, it would be one of the very first uh, stations to ever carry his grandson's voice. And what he also didn't know is that same, uh, that same station, that same signal would also carry his great-grandson's voice for the very first time, as he's saying. And uh, so God is faithful to change our legacy when we realize who we are not, or who, who we aren't and who we are in Jesus Christ. <laughs> you see, I'm no longer that man. It is never too late. And for you, I want to say, I want to read this list for you, men, this morning, because I I feel really strongly that this, this should be the very last thing I leave you with is God's word and what he says about you and who you are, though you may doubt yourself. I found this, and maybe this is a common thing, but I hadn't seen it. I found it in a little roll-top desk at Word of Life camp. I was about to speak, and I saw a little shiny laminated card. I pulled it out, and I read this, and it just wrecked me. Before I went to speak, I was in tears, and, and I hope it, it wrecks you in the best way possible, too. It's just God's word. John 1, I am God's child. Listen to this. This is for you. John 15, I am Christ's friend. 
Romans 5, I've been justified. 1 Corinthians 6, I'm united with the Lord and one with him in the spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm a member of Christ's body. Ephesians 1, I am a saint. I've been adopted as God's child. I've been adopted as God's child. Colossians 1, I've been redeemed and forgiven of all of my sins. Colossians 2, I am complete in Christ. Romans 8, I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. I am free from any condemning charges against me, and I cannot be separated from the love of God. 2 Corinthians 1, I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. Colossians 3, I'm hidden with Christ in God. Philippians 1, I'm confident that the good work that God has begun in me, that he will finish. It will be perfected in me. Philippians 3, I'm a citizen of heaven. 2 Timothy 1, I have not been given a spirit of power. I'm sorry, of fear, but of power and love. Sorry, I'm still like snot because I'm crying up here. I apologize, you know. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to be COVID safe up here. It's just not possible, you know. Um, 2 Timothy 1, I've not been given a spirit, but fear, a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Hebrews 4, I can find grace and mercy in my time of need. 1 John 5, I am born of God and the evil one, listen to this, the evil one cannot touch me. Matthew 5, I'm the salt and light of the earth. John 15, I am the branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. Acts 1, I'm a personal witness of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, it says, I am God's temple. 1 Corinthians 5, I'm a minister of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 6, I'm God's co-worker. Ephesians 2, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. Ephesians 3, I may approach God with freedom and confidence. And Philippians 4.13, if you know it, say it with me. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Last word this morning before I sing the song, Lead Me, because it'll beat me up if I don't sing that song. I know it. Last word. You can, man. You can.
tell myself they'll be fine They're independent But on the inside I can't hear them saying Leave me with strong hands Or stay under When I can't Don't leave me I'm hungry for love Chasing dreams But what about us Is sure Julie